Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Good day and welcome to Movie Oubliette, the climate extreme spanning podcast for forgotten fantastical films with me, Conrad, trying to find a tomato in Cambridge, UK. <laughs> and me, Dan, making my own audio cables down here in Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> wow. We focus on overlooked sci-fi horror and fantasy films because we think every debut feature film should be a mashup of zombie apocalypse, alien invasion and small town western. Mm. Hello, Dan. Ah, yes. <laughs> oh, so not a tomato in sight, Conrad. No, we have no tomatoes or apples or cucumbers or any other vegetable in the UK wow. apart from potatoes and turnips. It's like Cold War Russia. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And the BBC says that it's because of uh, extreme weather in Spain and Northern Africa, which has caused problems with crop yields. Uh-huh. And yet, Everybody I speak to in mainland Europe is saying, what are you talking about? There's stuff everywhere. Wow. <laughs> and it's really cheap. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Wow. I was actually talking to a Brit uh, a couple of weeks ago, and she was telling me... No, she she was... Her boyfriend's a Brit, but she's been living in, in London for the last six years or something. She was telling me that okay. Jamie Oliver's new show is... The focus of his show is how to use less electricity and less gas <laughs> to prepare food. Yes. And I'm just like, wow, it's wartime in the UK right now. We have rationing on food in supermarkets in the UK on salad, fruits and vegetables. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. But it's got nothing to do with anything other than climate change, says the government. Uh There is no difference between the UK and every other country in Europe. Right. (laughs) No. <laughs> okay. There is no reason why this is happening. That that there's nothing you could point to that separates us from say the European Union. Nothing. No. It's no. all fine. Oh uh, yeah. Of nothing course. to see here. <laughs> <laughs> it's bullshit. Oh. Meanwhile, um uh, so I'm going to start growing my own vegetables. You're <laughs> you're creating your own audio cables, which is very enterprising. Well, no, I mean I'm starting from the bottom. I'm making the the easiest cable you can possibly make, which is just a TS cable. Uh it's very right. very easy. But yeah, I'm pu- buying all the parts. I bought like 20 meters of of cabling. Uh I bought all the connectors separately. I've got a soldering iron and solder and so I started yeah, I've started making my own cables because I I need quite short cables for my synth jamming that I've been doing and all my cables at the moment are three meters long and it's just a nightmare (laughs) setting up (laughs) because it's just spaghetti everywhere um so yeah yeah, just having short perfectly length um cables would be a dream so yeah that's the reason behind that I yeah I'm remembering the days of audio separates. Do you remember that when you had hi-fis, like you had your tape deck and you had your radio and you you would have to connect them all up with these phono leads and Mm. they were all two meters long and there'd just be this mess behind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I remember it well. 
yeah <laughs> but um yeah no it's it's good it's good i mean uh, it's good also because now i can fix faulty cables so if anything does oh. go wrong you know i can you know take it apart and fix it hopefully um oh, but I'm yeah impressed yeah uh, it's, it's a start. It's it's early days. It's not like I'm making my own synths or anything. So uh, you know, it's, it's, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it won't be long. You're going to have your own Etsy store. I'm sure. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Conrad, what is in the mailbag today? What have our listeners been talking about? Well, they've been talking about the Wraith, our previous movie, uh, Nodensky uh, Stephanus said, The Wraith has been a fave of mine since I first saw it via that lovely foil-covered VHS rental tape back in the day. Oh. I remember that, actually. It was all shiny, the VHS. Wow. Oh, really? Right, right. Yeah, it was. Ah. It was quite impressive. Uh, and he says, This is one of those films where I can't be objective. I don't know if it's a good or bad film, but I know that I love it. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's a nostalgia. It's strong. That's where I landed as well. It's like, I, objectively, this is not a great film, but I don't know. I don't hate it mm. for some reason. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> but there was some criticism. Wicked Person said, Clint Howard was so unwatchably awkward in this, supposed to be colourful and entertaining, no doubt, but it just kept us earnestly cheering for him to be the next guy to be killed by the wraith. <laughs> it had been some time since... Since the carbonite manoeuvre, sorry, carbamite, I'm not sure, manoeuvre, that's a Star Trek episode that he was in, wasn't it? Oh, right, okay. And uh, all downhill from there for Clint. On Star Trek, he had his own starship in Wraith, he's the guy without a racing car. Right, yeah, yeah. And he doesn't die in the movie, does he? He doesn't, know. he mm. survives, so he could be in the sequel. Right. <laughs> <laughs> When we asked whether people preferred random races or dance-offs to resolve conflict, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, Hugo Rioja said, hard to choose, going with random races. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I would probably choose random races too. <laughs> dance-offs just makes zero sense. <laughs> That's why I could never get into West Side Story, because it's supposed to be, you know, uh, these hard-bitten gangs on the streets and they're just like clicking their fingers and sort of <laughs> dancing about in unison. I just, I don't get it. Yeah, but they've got switchblades, Conrad. <laughs> yeah. It's gritty. Dangerous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Kevin from Planet X said, if Wraith didn't satisfy your thirst for questionable 80s revenge fueled car movies recommended by brothers, feast your eyes on Rolling Vengeance from 1987. My brother made me watch this back during the VHS days more times than I care to remember. No idea how well it's aged, but if I had to guess, I'm going to say it's probably not aged well. <laughs> okay, yeah. Never heard of that movie. <laughs> no, me neither. I wonder if it has a sci-fi horror or fantasy twist. Mm. I'll have to look it up. And finally, we heard from Surge of ah. Cold Crash Pictures. Hello, Serge. Hello, Serge. And he said, The Wraith is a film that dares to ask, what happens when a hero who cannot die takes on a villain with no motivation? <laughs> Lots of talent on both sides of the camera here, but the script is just one of the weirdest, most tension-free stories I've seen in quite a while. Mm -hmm. The verdict is split in the latest episode of Movie Oubliette, so the deciding vote goes to Dan and Conrad's patrons. I didn't see the film before they recorded the episode, but I I'd have voted to throw it back in. 
Ah, uh, mm. yes. Mm, with me, with me. Interesting. I do yeah. have to say, script-wise, the dialogue was actually pretty pretty funny. Uh, I did really yeah. enjoy the dialogue. <laughs> it's very quotable. <laughs> it was immensely quotable. We had a lot for the Moobly Awards. Mm, mm. So, yeah. But, yeah, tension-free, as we said. That's quite true. <laughs> yes. And, uh, yes, the female lead, Sherilyn Fenn, could quite easily have been... A sexy lamp. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, will there be more interesting female characters in today's film, Dan? Well, uh, I'll go and find out. I'm I'm outside for some reason, in a field, Mm. and it's Mm. raining. Nice. There's smoke coming from me, and and cows and crickets being beamed up into the sky. Good grief. Okay, I think the movie's here. Quick, come back. <laughs> hey, don't you fucking mess with me, boy, you fucking little fucking wanker. <laughs> You're still smoking now. I know. I should, I should probably just strip naked at this point. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be awkward. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll just deal with it. Um, all right. Well, today, uh, the movie we will be discussing is the 2003 Australian horror sci-fi Undead. Ooh. It's written and directed by the Spierig brothers, uh, identical twins Michael and Peter Spierig. And it stars Felicity Mason, Mungo McKay, McKay uh, Rob Jenkins, Lisa Cunningham, Dirk Hunter, and Emma Randall. Ooh. And what happens in Undead? I'm guessing zombies. <laughs> well, it, it's the early 2000s in small town Berkeley, Australia, as a reluctant beauty queen winner, Renee, seeks to leave the godforsaken town forever. Unfortunately, her plans are thwarted by a meteor shower, turning the townspeople into ravenous, soft as butter, slow moving, intestinal spilling <laughs> zombies. <laughs> Accompanied by pregnant Sally Ann, her boyfriend Wayne, two incompetent police constables, and the most wooden acting local gun shop owner, Marion, they battle the undead, acid rain, alien abductions, and a rapidly depleting film budget to flee the town. Will they survive the apocalypse, or will the film's computers crash enough times not to render out the early 2000s CGI? (laughs) We'll find out after the break in Undead. Cannot wait. And we are back to talk about Undead, an Aussie zombie movie. Not a lot of zombie movies made in Australia, apparently. Uh, Conrad, had you seen this movie before? No, I did not know it existed before you mentioned Ah. it. So, yes, this is completely new to me. How about you? Yeah, completely new to me. So uh, it's going to be a double blind. Double blind. But yeah, I, I, as I mentioned, like, uh, zombie movies have not been made in Australia, it seems. Uh, when I looked it up, there's only been a handful. Uh, most of them very, very, very low budget. But the, the standouts are Cargo in 2017, which stars 
Martin Freeman uh-huh. for some inexplicable reason. I'm not sure why everyone else is Australian apart from him. Obviously, they had to get a star in there. A very interesting zombie movie because it's more of a drama journey movie. I mean, there are zombies in there, but it's uh, definitely more of a drama. Mm. And also there's another zombie movie called Wormwood Road of the Dead. came out in 2014. Really funny, gory, kind of Mad Max meets... Night of the Living Dead or something. It's incredibly funny. Very, very violent. Uh, and the sequel is also apparently very, very good as well. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. There's also one other movie called Little Monsters, 2019, more of a comedy. Okay. I don't know how Australian it is. I think the lead isn't Australian. But yeah, not not a lot of zombie movies in Australia. No, and apparently not many really happening in the horror genre generally at the time in the early aughts. Mm. Well, certainly the time that the Spearig brothers thought about doing it. But then, of course, when their film came out, I noticed that in Australia in September of 2003, when it was released, uh, number three in the charts was 28 Days Later. Right. The Danny Boyle movie, uh-huh. which pretty much relaunched the zombie genre. It sort of felt like it was the beginning of a mm. rebirth and also a slight shift to the whole sort of move towards fast zombies. Yeah, fast zombies, yeah. Which kind of makes Undead feel a little bit like a throwback. And I think the Spearig brothers talk about it being their love of 50s B-movies that mm. drove the tone of the movie that they were trying to make. Yeah, yeah, very 50s, very... Like, even the opening credits, it's that real 50s, like, black and white, Dracula, Frankenstein kind of text. Yeah. Uh, The music (laughs) is very old school, like, very dated, like, almost annoyingly dated. Like, I just wanted it not to be (laughs) so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so much of an homage to silent films or like at least black and white movies. Mm. And also even the look of the zombies, they had a very dry look to them and, and uh, mm. focused more on weird lighting to make them look scary rather than them being completely drenched in blood, which is what modern zombies tend to look like. They just yeah. look disgusting now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty grotesque. Yes, and I think the thing that really sets this apart or makes it interesting is just how ambitious it was Mm -hmm. because it's a fully independent film. This is the Spearig brothers before they hit the big time with things like Predestination Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Daybreakers and Jigsaw and uh, getting involved in the whole Blumhouse thing. So this was their calling card, very much in the tradition of Sam Raimi with Evil Dead. Mm -hmm. It's low-budget, independent filmmaking. And not content with just trying to take on the zombie genre, they thought they'd also do an alien invasion. So there's this whole genre mashup going on that feels just incredibly ambitious for the resources they had. Mm. I mean, the budget I think they mentioned was just under $1 million. And that's Aussie dollars, which is even less in the the world stage. So not (laughs) a lot of money. And I think they tried to get as much as they could for free or like just borrowed. It's hilarious watching the behind the scenes because it's just... It was two years of their lives that they dedicated to making this movie, and every day was a nightmare. Yes. <laughs> because they just did not have the funds, and they just had to use whatever they could. I think they did all the visual effects as well. I think they had one other guy help them. And, it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, they had to learn it themselves. I don't think they were really, you know, CGI experts what 
whatsoever. Uh, they had <laughs> shitty computers. They had three different computers to use. One was a laptop and they were using Adobe Premiere, which they mentioned during one of the screenings and everyone laughs. I'm like, was it really bad back then in 2003? <laughs> it was, yeah. I remember it. So as I think it's Michael, I think, who says, it's great if you want to edit your friend's wedding video. It's not, oh, yes, it's not yes, yes, great yes, if you're right. trying to edit a you know, full-length 35-millimeter feature film. Mm, mm. So yeah, and their laptop that they were working on to render the film's computer graphics graphic imagery yeah this is 2003 the best they had were pentium 3 mm-hmm. processors if anybody remembers those and sometimes depending on how complicated the shot was rendering a frame took 11 hours crazy right crazy crazy <laughs> it's 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 a feat that this movie even got finished it's incredible like there is so yeah. much in this movie just effects wise just practical effects wise there is so much mm. uh, i think they mentioned they had 50 liters of blood and they thought that would last and they used it up in two days <laughs> and i think by the end of it, it was like 500 or 600 liters of blood yeah that they used i mean yeah really stunning practical effects with all the gore and stuff like i was really really impressed but i mean for the most part the movie is obviously very low budget yes uh, the character wise even the uh, the sort of first sequence of of introducing characters i was just really confused it's bad who anyone yeah. was like because it, it, it kept kind of cutting before you kind of got to know the characters it was that first scene with um, with Renee in the bank, uh, which is just like, why does the bank look like this during the middle of the day? It looks like a basement with like no lighting. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Purely a cinematic choice. Uh, and then they cut away before we even get to know who she is. And she turns up later and I'm like, is that the same girl from before? I can't figure it out. And then you've got characters that are introduced and then killed. And it's quite confusing, the first kind of 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, it's really, really choppy. And I think these are sort of add-ons, these scenes, actually, because they realise that they got to the action too soon. I think possibly the movie started even with the cricket match, you know, the sort of right. chirpy introducing the town style music and the crane goes up to the town sign and then you go over and see the cricket match. And I think possibly that was the beginning of the movie and then they realised they hadn't ah. established any of their characters. And yeah. They went yeah. back and shot all of this stuff. And it's, as you say, it is so choppy, um, intercutting between the main character and the bank the badly framed agent outside who's chewing gum and he's not even a main character. He disappears mm. for ages and then returns as a zombie, but there's no payoff really. Yeah, yeah. Um, Characters are poorly framed and mismatched close-ups, badly edited. I have no idea who they are or what their relationships are or even where they are in physical space or what is happening. Yeah, yeah. The beginning feels very much like a student movie where you learn all of the mistakes that you can possibly make on a narrative mm, film. Mm, mm. Because it was filmed on actual film, right? This wasn't a digital film. Yeah, it's a mixture of 16 and 35, I think they said. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure they were just using every single take or just doing one takes or two takes for yeah one or two very much like the witch's hammer and there were things about this that reminded me of the witch's hammer our 100th episode yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) it's interesting that you made that comparison because it has that really early 2000s digital sheen over it yeah so even though it was recorded on film it has this kind of flatness 
to it yeah. with the digital color grading that they must have done. And it just makes everything look washed out and desaturated and like quite ugly. It does. <laughs> like a lot of scenes are almost black and white. I think they tried to do the whole day for night thing where they just shot it normally and just desaturated everything. So it made it look darker, but it just looks real bland as a result. Yeah. I did feel sorry for the cinematographer, Andrew Strayhorn, mm-hmm. who mentions how much on the commentary track, how much effort he put into graduating the lighting for uh-huh. certain things and lighting certain characters in certain ways to show their slow decline and yeah. all this kind of thing. And it, it's all gone. You can't, yeah. you can't see it. The colour grade is just so vicious. <laughs> yeah, it does take away all the depth from Mm. the visuals. Uh, Even watching some of the test footage that they have of the zombies Mm. um, and just doing different lighting, underlining, above lighting, it looks amazing. It looks really good because they haven't slapped that shitty colour grade over it. It looks (laughs) more terrifying. Yeah, they're experimenting with different frame rates and stuff. Yeah, Yeah, it does. It looks really good, but obviously the limitations of the digital colour grading at the time. I mean, they use it very creatively. I mean, it's very sort of orange and sepia-toned Australian outback visual style until the very, very first zombie reveal and then, bang, all of a sudden, it's blue. Yeah, it's, it's that. <laughs> the rest of the movie. 2000s blue. blue, yes. Yeah. Yep. We're, we're Orange and blue. <laughs> sci-fi slash horror, just blue, everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it does have that look. It really does. <laughs> this movie is, I guess, an adaptation or extension of their three previous shorts the undead trilogy that they call it (laughs) attack of the undead rampage of the undead and massacre of the undead so that often happens with filmmakers they make a short that's it's more like a a pitch Mm. for a feature although they got zero funding for this movie right no it's all money that they begged borrowed and stole from family and friends and and (laughs) scrimped and saved from working on commercials yeah the behind the scenes are quite hilarious because they suffered every single day like i think one of the the directors uh he got really sick in the first like one or two weeks to the point where he had to lie down after every take he said that his skin turned a weird color and his tongue kept bleeding. Horrible. <laughs> yes. Horrible. <laughs> they were all very sick. Yeah, the fact they couldn't really afford crew, so the two directors had to do a lot of the lugging around of gear, packing the vans themselves. I, I think one of them mentions that they had to drive the truck mm. with the generator in it, but he didn't have a truck license, so that was <laughs> illegal. Um, and and the vans that they had, they had one van, and then they had the van that was used in the film, Marion's van. Yeah. Uh, so that doubled as an actual production van as well, because they just had no money for any vehicles. Um, and there's a really funny scene in the behind the scenes where. They were using it, it was a pristine new van, I think, um, that they used, uh, they were transporting. But once they had to film it, obviously they had to make it look old and beat up. So 
everyone in the crew, cast and crew, got a chance to kick the shit out of this van <laughs> to make it look dinged up and, you know, worn. They were using any resource that they could to make this movie. Which is so admirable. I mean, it is supposed to be their calling card. So they're going for broke. Mm. Originally, when they were planning it, one of them that was a little bit more savvy, who'd worked on these sorts of things before, said, have you got a really long list of alternates for all of your crew? Because as time goes on, you're going to lose people. Mm, Because, you know, independent production, people are doing it outside of their day job. Mm. Over the years or months or whatever that this takes, they're going to lose interest. But they didn't, and they didn't need to. The core group was still there at the end. And they said it was just because they loved doing it and because this sort of movie just does not happen in their Mm. sort of local film industry. Yeah, yeah. So he said, I think it's Brisbane, I think he said. Yeah, it was, yeah, in the northern, kind of northeastern part of of Australia anyway. Yeah. But they were just saying that this sort of movie, genre movies just do not happen in Australia and this type of movie just had not happened. Yeah, yeah. Ever. They... (laughs) Definitely don't. Yeah, Australian film industry seems to gravitate toward a lot of comedy right. and drama. That tends to be our main export in terms of film. And especially back then, genre films just didn't exist. No. You did mention early films from renowned directors like Sam Raimi. What is it with that? Like a lot of really notable directors that are not even really known for horror always start with zombie movies. Yes. So I've got here, like, you've got Edgar Wright with Shaun of the Dead. That was his second film. I just had not... Have you heard of his first film, Fistful of Fingers? No. In 1995? What is this? I'm, it's a Western. <laughs> Edgar Wright did a Western. I haven't seen it. I've never heard of it. But you've got, you know, Zack Snyder with Dawn of the Dead, the remake in 2004, his first film. Danny Boyle, okay, this is fifth film with 28 Days Later. Um, but then you've got Peter Jackson uh, with Brain Dead. That was his, I think it was his third or fourth film. But Bad Taste is kind of like a zombie movie. I know it's Aliens. But yeah, a lot of these kind of no, uh, renowned directors always start with a zombie movie. Yeah, and I think it's just going to be generational because you're going to have young filmmakers who will be inspired by these filmmakers' Mm, films and they're going to do the same thing. I think it's just something that appeals to people that, you know, you can just slap a bit of rotten zombie makeup on all your friends and start hacking them up at the weekend. Yeah, that's true. It definitely seems like a fun type of movie to make as well. Well, I don't know, watching the behind the scenes, they didn't seem to have a lot of fun on this, really. Well, yeah. They're all sick and exhausted. But certainly the end result is fun. So you mentioned that comedy is a genre that's alive and well. This is very much a comedy. Yes, it really is. Uh, I think this movie would have been unwatchable without the comedy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, special effects aside... It is messy, but the comedy does make it really, really funny. It is genuinely funny. Funny scenes. Every zombie kill is comedic as well. Every single one. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think it signals that really early on because there's that choppy bit at the beginning, but then when Renee is leaving town with her creepy agent and they come across a car smash in the road where this town has been pelted with meteorites and it's caused a zombie outbreak. I think that's what's happened. I have a lot of questions about what's actually happening in this movie, which we'll get to. But from that very first moment where Renee comes up against a zombie, her weapon of choice is a 
parking lock thing that yeah one of those things with a steering that... wheel yeah steering wheel lock yeah. <laughs> yeah and she manages to carve like you said a zombie zombies made out of butter yeah. she manages to carve somebody in half vertically it's with that crazy yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> Uh, blunt objects are like uh, the sharpest knives you've ever seen because uh, zombies yeah. are getting hacked up, L- uh, yeah, like butter. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think from that moment on, you know what kind of movie you're in for. Yeah, yeah, you really do. Um, and and also, I love it how Marion just inexplicably spawns handguns from everywhere <laughs> just he always has a pair of guns yeah it's amazing well they have that scene where he walks naked into a convenience store yeah. because there's this whole other mechanism which again i have questions about what is the rain i i just do not understand so characters get pelted with rain sometimes and smoke comes off them and then they hurriedly take their clothes off but i could not figure out if it's acid rain or if it's rain that cures them of the zombieism that's being put down by the aliens. Mm. I just did not understand the mechanism at all. We can come back to that, but just to your point, Marion takes off all of his clothes because he gets covered in rain. Yes. And you don't know this until you suddenly just get this butt shot as they all walk into <laughs> yeah. a convenience store. He's got his boots on and his hat, yeah. but nothing else. Nothing else yeah. Now, this apparently was Mungo McKay's idea okay. for a gag. Right. And they suddenly realised they had a continuity problem because he suddenly pulls some guns from yeah, somewhere. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so they just had the hilarious police character, Harrison, played by Dirk Hunter, just says, where the hell did they come from? And just leave it at that. Mm, yeah. I think they're in his boots. That's my guess. <laughs> oh, oh ah, right, 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 right. So the general premise of the movie is the meteor showers hit this town and they cause people to turn into zombies. Yeah. Uh, it also causes dead people to turn into zombies. So that it is a proper zombie movie. Okay. As opposed to, you know, 28 Days Later where dead people don't come back. They just contract the virus and display behavior like a zombie. Right. So there are actually, like the movie suggests, they are the undead coming back caused by the meteor shower. But we've also got, so there's big spoilers here. Um, We've got the sci-fi element with the aliens. So the aliens are actually helping by, they pretty much quarantine the town with this giant wall around the town. And they pretty much do uh, like a chemical wash over the town with the rain and it cures the people of the infection the zombie infection is that what it is and that's why they they're supposed to be in the rain so it's kind of funny because all the characters throughout the movie are trying to get out of the rain when they should be just getting in the rain and the movie would probably be an hour shorter (laughs) (laughs) because they would figure out hang on this is curing us. We're not becoming zombies at this point. Right. Yeah. And then the aliens show up and it's a very strange, awkward scene with this like butt naked alien with weird plumes on its side. It's strange. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that's about. Yeah. So the, the aliens are the saviors. I think um, Renee, the Renee character at the end says like the aliens aren't, they're not attacking them. They saved them. So at first, when they get hit by the rain, they're they're smoking as if it was acid rain. Mm. But I guess, does anyone actually feel any pain? Or they just think, oh, we're smoking, that's a bad idea. 
because yeah, they strip off all their clothes, they douse each other in water to, um, I guess, dilute the acid rain. But I guess no one's ever any in any pain. They just think smoke bad. Let's take off all our clothes. They don't think. Hang on, all my wounds are healing. It doesn't hurt. Maybe this is a good thing. Well, yeah, they don't seem to notice that. Yeah. Until much, much later, she notices immediately. Renee notices that some of her wounds are healing Mm, mm. because of this rain. Yeah. But she doesn't notice that earlier. Nobody does. No. So, yeah, I couldn't track it. I couldn't figure out what was going on. Right. I mean, it leads to some amazing visuals, like the whole thing where the aliens beam people up into... The sky. Yeah, sort of jet plane altitudes, which they couldn't breathe at. But anyway, well, so it's like 30,000 feet. So yeah, they're all above the clouds in like T poses. Yeah. Like crucified. Yeah. In stasis. Supposedly, that's just where the aliens put them. You know, once they've washed them with the chemical wash, they just pop them up above the clouds so they're out of harm's way, just drying, well, <laughs> ready I, for when they can put them all back I together. I think it's because so they don't get reinfected with whatever right. is infecting them i don't know whether it's in the air or in the i don't know it's i guess it's from zombie bites maybe as well yeah, like maybe but i don't know they're just popping them up above the infection zone yeah i think at one point that one of the aliens says oh this is the last one we can put them all back down again take the wall away uh. but oh 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 no there's still one person that has been infected. Yes, Wayne in his plane. Yeah, yeah, Wayne, <laughs> Wayne. But yeah, I've been talking about like sort of um, homages or tributes to old um, horror and old zombie movies. You do have your very cliche characters. You do. You've got your grisly, reluctant hero that's just immensely resourceful, has all the guns. Yes, just very good at shooting. Endless bullets, uh, <laughs> reference to Matt Swafford's uh, podcast. Because I did think of Matt at one point because I think one of the police characters fires fourteen bullets out of a revolver. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. The handguns are just yeah, just infinite amount of bullets coming from them. But yeah, yeah so Marion, that's his character. He's just like invincible and just very good at shooting. Mm. Uh, and then you've got the final girl, Renee, who you know is. You just know yeah. she's going to be the final girl. And then you've got your other annoying characters. The policeman, hilarious. I mean, annoying <laughs> and you want them to die. Yes. But hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Harrison. I think the character was supposed to be played by an older actor, but due to health problems, he had to drop out at the last minute. Mm-hmm. So uh, Dirk Hunter, it was a fantastic name. Ah, yes. uh, Dirk Hunter stepped in at the last minute, grew a moustache and just played him as this irritating little twerk. Oh, yeah. Angry little man. And he is hilarious. Most of his dialogue is improvised. Is it? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. And hilariously funny. <laughs> you can see at one point, I think it's the, one of the first scenes with him where he's just spouting just garbage yes (laughs) a lot of australianisms but you can see one of the other actors in the background trying to hold it in from laughing because he's so funny 
I don't blame them because it's just this endless stream of fucking, 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 fucking. And there's <laughs> yeah. something about fucking a bag of monkeys, or I, uh, I have no idea what he's talking mm-hmm. about. <laughs> yeah, it's incredibly funny. Uh, and then you've got uh, his colleague, policewoman, that is brand new to the job, and she's just terrified. Yes, she does have an inhaler. Uh, I thought that was going to have a challenge, but that mm. never happened. Yeah, like it didn't do that. No, thing. me too. Yeah. Asthma inhalers in alien invasion movies, even Shyamalan fell for that one. But yeah. no, it does not happen. Yeah, it doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, and you've got the pregnant girl and her, her boyfriend. And she was like a rival beauty queen to Renee. Renee was the reluctant beauty queen winner. And she was the one that actually <laughs> wanted the prize. Uh, the fish queen. I think they refer to the it. fish queen. It's like, was it endorsed yes. by a fish company? Is it? Quite possibly. <laughs> was she the face of some fish fishing yeah. brand? Yeah. <laughs> it's a fishing town. I'm proud of it. And uh, I love the backstory to her character that they mention on the commentary that is just not in the movie. But apparently, if you read the newspaper article about it, you can see it. The reason that she didn't win for the second year running was because she was heavily pregnant with Wayne's baby. And she thought for her talent section, she could do the same thing she'd done the year before, which was a karaoke version of Madonna's Like a Virgin, which just did not work (laughs) year two. (laughs) That's why she lost to Renee. of a contradiction yeah <laughs> wow it's not in the movie but it's hilarious lore behind the scenes that they were all aware of when they were shooting mm, right 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 yeah but i did like the dynamic between the characters i mean obviously a lot of friction mm. it, it seemed very much like uh, night of the living dead like the fact that they go into a house into a basement which is a bunker with zero supplies. Mm. Don't know how that happened, Marion. Like, why would you even build a bunker with no <laughs> supplies in it? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the supplies are all upstairs or something. It's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it's really bad. So they're, they're trapped in this bunker with nothing to eat or drink. Bad preparation. <laughs> Just waiting for the zombies to go away. That's one of my least favourite scenes. It's four actors, five actors in a tin can just screaming and I cannot hear anything. It's inaudible, yeah. And it goes on for so long. Yeah, yeah. But then I watched the Australian version and I believe that is cut down in the American release of the movie. Right, because mm. I've probably got the Australian version. Yeah, it's still... A bit aimless. Mm. Like it doesn't go anywhere. No. There's there's no sort of character development really a little bit. But it's not, yeah, I don't know. It's not very compelling. Um, And also, yeah, I guess limited sound equipment or a sound monitor or something because it's, yeah, pretty much incomprehensible at some points. Yeah. A lot of yelling in a tin can. I didn't know if it was just my struggle with the accents or not because there are several moments in the movie where I just cannot tell what is going on like there's a scene where Renee is staring at a coil of rope in the convenience store and she has some sort of echoey quote flashback yeah and I cannot distinguish a single word of it I have no idea what she's remembering or why she takes the rope or the significance of what happens afterwards right right my interpretation of it was so uh, the beauty queen talent show um they had to have a talent. So Sally Ann's was karaoke singing. I think Renee's, she mentions it was like tying two things together or something. Really? So that's what the rope is about, <laughs> oh, like being God. tying something together. 
Yeah. Does she use the rope? She does, yes. Yeah, I was waiting for it to pay off. She manages to uh, lasso somebody and then get them oh, pulled into right. the that's propeller of the plane. That's right. Yeah. That scene. That yeah. scene. Uh, I knew I knew a zombie was going to be pushed into a airplane repeller. At some as point. soon as you, you see anything dangerous, it's like, yeah, a zombie's going to die that way. Oh, yeah, sure. absolutely. <laughs> I think she rescues Sally Ann in that scene. And I think ah, there's sort right. of a bonding moment between the two warring beauty queens, <laughs> fish queens, that they finally have some sort of grudging respect for each other at that point because they've been snarking at each other for the whole movie, mm, despite mm. the fact that they've got bigger fish to fry. The thing that really confuses me again about the bunker scene uh-huh. it looks like Shelly Ann goes into labour and then it's just forgotten I know. for the rest yeah. of the movie yeah what the hell happened there <laughs> yeah I guess just like well, we need the plot to keep moving so a reason to leave the bunker and then yeah I don't know she just seems to be fine after that yeah maybe it was just wind I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very strange. (laughs) What I did find surprising, though, like there is a lot of gore, a lot of violence, but it's always towards the zombies and you don't get a very satisfying kill of the human characters. No. Really? Well, the sort of the main human characters, like the annoying policeman, he just falls. Yes. From a great height and that's it. Okay. Um, And I guess Molly, she gets hit by the plane, but. I don't know. I, I expected some really good zombie attacks on them, but not really. No, that's true. I don't think anybody... Does anybody actually get killed by a zombie? I don't know. Oh, yeah, the um, the old lady that's driving the car. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, there are a few people that get killed by zombies. Um, there's the guy at the start at the cricket game where he's like, bugger me, and then his whole head <laughs> just gets knocked off. <laughs> yeah. And if you watch it carefully, you can tell... His head is not attached to his body. Like, it's a co- two completely different shots. It is. That have been composited together. Yeah, it's floating <laughs> There's like around There's, like, wiggly lines, like, where his head should be, uh, um, or his neck and shirt should be. But, yeah. but yeah, you know, limited resources back in 2003. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now it's time for Random Trivia. So, Dan, what fascinating nugget of trivia did you find as a special prize in your Wheatbix box today? <laughs> so, the, there's, a, there's a scene in the movie where um, uh, Renee's driving the van and you've got Sally Ann in the back. The aliens are trying to, like, orb her up, beam her up, but she's in the van, so she, she's, she's been pulled into the ceiling of the van and the van's kind of lifting up. <laughs> Um, but Renee's trying to like, drive away and she crashes into a ditch. Um, but when they shot that scene, the crash itself, they had run out of budget. Aww. So they couldn't afford to hire a stunt person. Uh, so instead, they literally just shoved a brick on the accelerator. <laughs> they tied oh, the no. steering wheel down and they, they put the van on, up, up on a jack and then they just simply knocked the van off the jack and it <laughs> it just you know drove unmanned into a ditch oh god um <laughs> but apparently it was raining so much that when it, when they kicked it off it just didn't go anywhere because the the, the ground was so muddy and boggy and um, so they had to push oh. it manually sort of give it a bit of a push a shove and then it just went straight into the ditch uh, but it's just incredible like what they had to do to get some of these scenes rather than just abandon the scene or like maybe cut to it rather than you know showing it they they persevered and did it anyway 
um, with any means possible. Yeah, and sometimes at great risk to themselves and everyone around Yeah, them. yeah. Because <laughs> I heard as well they didn't even have enough money to uh, afford like rigging for the lights or stands for the lights. So they, they literally chained these lights to trees. They got up on yes. these ladders and just chained the lights to trees. Yep, got to do what you got to do. It's amazing. I love in the in the behind the scenes as well. You see them building a crane because they can't afford oh, yes, to hire yes, one for the, for the camera. Yeah, so building a crane and trying to figure out how to balance it to get it to move smoothly. And honestly, the ingenuity and the can-do attitude—it's mm. uh, uh, really admirable. I think. I, yeah, I loved watching all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's our trivia. That's our trivia. So what did you think about the sci-fi element? Like having the alien as well. So apparently, originally, they didn't think they were going to even show the alien. They were just going to allude to it. But having that reveal was like, I was a little bit taken aback. I didn't expect to see so much alien. No, they knew they were going to do a head and they couldn't do arms. They just had some hands and a head that they could puppeteer. Uh And then they thought, do you know, I think we might be able to pull off a full body CG alien. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they sort of could in the best way that you could in 2003. Mm. The inclusion of the whole alien aspect of it is, is one of the things that narratively makes it admirable and interesting. Yeah, it does. But at the same time, it makes it incomprehensible and about nine times more difficult for them to make. Yeah, yeah. They took on a lot. They really did. And it, uh, there's no other zombie movie like it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I do think visually, I think the sci-fi elements are sort of substandard. Like, because all the practical effects and even the CG stuff for the zombie kills and stuff, they look really good for the most part. Like, really, really good and really fun. But then you have these, like, the UFO beams, like, beaming up people and... Crickets. And crickets. (laughs) I don't know. It doesn't look great. And the wall (laughs) that they have doesn't look great yeah there are certain parts uh, in terms of the sci-fi visual elements that were like oh if they just didn't have that it would have looked better maybe or didn't show it yeah i heard that the wall that they made they just cobbled together just a whole bunch of piping and metal shards and stuff (laughs) and melted it together and uh, i think one of the directors said oh yeah that probably took like a good 10 years off my life or something (laughs) from breathing in all the fumes (laughs) you know they only made like i don't know a three meter by three meter wall and just duplicated it to fill up a whole screen I don't know. It doesn't look great. It doesn't, no. They're just cloning it to fill up the screen, but it doesn't behave the way that an object that size would in terms of lighting over the whole area. Yeah. So you're just looking at it and you can't really make sense of it. It just looks yeah. like some bizarre cobbled together screensaver. It's very odd. Yeah, because I couldn't even figure out what they were even looking at at one point. No. Because it looks like lights mm. on the sky. And I thought... I didn't even know it was a wall until they went right up to it and you can actually see physical metal spikes. But, um, yeah. I thought the moment where the wall lifted up and broke into different segments and sort of started turning, Mm. you know, that combined with the music, I thought, wow, we're going for a real sense of awe and wonder finale, like Arrival or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well done. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's ambitious and some of it is more successful than others. It's certainly not as consistently successful as the action scenes with the zombie kills. Mm. And some of it surprises you as well. There are some moments where they edit 
it in a certain way where you're expecting, okay, this is the shot where the jump is going to come, and it doesn't. Mm, mm. It comes in the next shot, so that you can see the inventiveness and their potential as filmmakers. Yeah. So it's no shock to me that they were able to parlay this into a professional career. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like there were a lot of really interesting shots as well. They were obviously trying to think outside the box. There's that scene where I think Marion throws a gun in the air, grabs another gun, shoots a zombie, and then catches the gun that he's <laughs> thrown in the air and he shoot, keeps shooting. <laughs> it's it's shot really beautifully. Lots of slow-mo. You know, it's early 2000. Post, anything post The Matrix. You've got so much slow-mo in action scenes. But it's funny, though, because Daybreakers and this movie have very, a lot of similarities. Daybreakers... It's just vampires. Mm. It's pretty much the same movie, but with vampires. And both movies set up a sequel that never happened. No. I think they really, really want to have a franchise, but they just haven't got it yet. Yeah. Interestingly, the version of Undead that I watched is a German Blu-ray, because it wasn't released here, and uh, they've called it Nightbreakers. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Which is so bloody cheeky. Oh. Some enterprising distributor trying to capitalise on their newfound fame. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my God. So, music? Yes, music. Hated it. Awful. <laughs> Awful. Wrong choice. Really bad, really MIDI sounding, very sample, yeah. like libraries and like not great sounding sample libraries. It's 2002, 2003. Um, no one recorded feature films <laughs> using VSTs back then. It <laughs> wasn't a thing. But apparently they did add instruments, live instruments. The only thing I could see in the, the making of was they added some choir, yeah. which was apparently recorded in the composer's mum's office. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound low budget. I don't know what does, but um, yeah, it just sounded fake. Yeah, MIDI synthesizers trying to sound like an orchestra is <laughs> the easiest way to piss me off. But at the same time, I did appreciate the intent they didn't want to do a stripped-back John Carpenter synthesizer score for their low-budget movie. They wanted to go for that 50s, mm, yeah. over-orchestrated, over-active, heavily thematic orchestra and choir. It's ambitious. Mm. I actually quite like the variety of the motifs mm-hmm. and the themes. Mm-hmm. I think if the composer Cliff Bradley did it now he would have better VSTs to pull it off with. Yeah. So, yeah, I appreciate the intent. Like everything else with this movie, I appreciate the intent. It doesn't quite pull it off. Yeah. (laughs) I'd rather they had used like some sort of more simple like synth carpenter score. It would have, I don't know, I think it would have been executed better. Mm. Uh, Cliff Bradley, the composer of this, he's, he's a pretty good orchestrator. Apparently he does a lot of orchestration for movies now. Um, so he, he's, he's a very talented musician. Like I, I can't deny that, but I do think like a lot of the themes and, and cues in this movie were too on the nose sort of the first thing you would come up with and then improve on. Like, you want a comedic cue, you you, put, you know, put some plucks in there, but maybe, like, strip it back a bit or, or add a different instrument. But it, it just felt like, oh, this is a funny scene because obviously the music sounds funny. Yeah. Or this is a dramatic scene because the music sounds more dramatic. It just sounds, oh, it's just so cheesy and far, 
far too much music in this movie. It's pretty much wall to wall. There's no break at all. Mm. It was really interesting watching some of the extended scenes or deleted scenes that didn't have score, obviously. It works so much better. <laughs> Just have the scene breathe. Don't constantly put, oh, we need some, you know, plucky strings in here because it's a comedic moment. Just take it out. Like, we don't need music all the time. You're absolutely right. I mean, they could have had, like, a really culty movie with just a small band of acoustic players doing something that's very Australian or very modern or very weird. Yeah. I don't know. You could have gone all kinds of different routes with this and created a classic, but they were going for a very specific style of movie. Yeah, yeah. He did what they asked for. Yeah, and he did it to the best of his ability with the resources we had, which is the same for every department. So it's all for the love of the movie and the the star that they were going mm. for. And uh, yeah, the success, hit and miss. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Mobley Awards. Hey, it's the Movie Awards. It's where we present our favourite butter zombie sliced parts of the film in a number of triple shotgun blasting categories. <laughs> Best quote. My favourite quote is from the annoying but uh, hilarious uh, police constable Harrison um, after they've <laughs> broken into Marion's house and he's just yelling about the zombies. And he says, it's all those crack marijuana fucking hippie fucking surfy fucking doll bludgers pricks fucking. <laughs> it's just, it's just comedy gold right there. Yes, I think that's what I was alluding to before where I just could not tell what the hell he was saying. But it was just hysterical in terms of his energy but my favorite quote is from the same scene but it's actually from wayne i think he's overshadowed by harrison but i think wayne is really funny oh, too yes. and at one point they're saying have you got a car where are the keys so that they can make a getaway and they obviously belong to the old lady that just got killed by a zombie ah, that yes. punched straight through her face and wayne says aunt aggie has the keys but she doesn't have a brain <laughs> <laughs> Best hair or costume? There's a clear winner on hair and costume, and it is Harrison's shorts ah, and yes. walking socks. Yes. <laughs> His socks pulled tight to just under the knee, which makes this officious, angry little man all the more ridiculous. <laughs> and I love it. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I don't get the uniform for policemen uh, or police officers in in Australia and New Zealand in you know pre nineties or pre two thousands. Like, did they try to make them look the worst that they could look? Because all all the policemen <laughs> were dressed like that. Like, also bus drivers always seem to have knee high socks in the shortest shorts they could find, and they just look bad. <laughs> really bad most naughty moment we've said it already the most 2000s thing about this movie is the ridiculous digital color grading mm, yeah <laughs> which is really harsh and the it's one of these things where it was a new thing and they had all the buttons that they could push and they pushed all of them and it looks like shit, but <laughs> yeah, it's a new tool so why not try it <laughs> yeah because it seems to degrade the fidelity as well it looks way way worse and and also makes it flat it just doesn't have 
any depth or sense of lighting whatsoever. It just looks like a flat image. Oh yeah, it does. It's probably the bit depth or something. Early days for digital grading and it was very hit and miss and uh, yeah, it's not great. But they did try to use it creatively with the color switch between orange and blue uh, yeah. and uh, it worked uh, so yeah yeah, yeah I, guess so. <laughs> I guess so i guess so uh, uh 2000s for me color grading definitely but also the slow-mo fight scenes or slow-mo gun fights yeah just anything post the matrix and i'm also thinking of like uh mission impossible 2 just so much slow-mo uh, in the in the early two thousands, oh. like just yes, John Woo. Yeah, it? well, it's John Woo. I mean, he was <laughs> he was doing it in all his Hong Kong um, movies as well. It just looks cool. It does, uh, especially yeah. with especially a, if you're throwing guns, throwing guns, <laughs> and if you've got a, a three barrel shotgun, like just the the most unwieldy weapon to carry around. Yes. You can't just sling it over across your shot. It's 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 three shotguns welded together with these big bars across. How does how do the triggers even work? Is there like a big bar across all the triggers? Like I just don't understand how that worked. Favorite scene. I have a lot of favorite scenes. I mean, I did really love the upside down spurs scene. Why was Marion mm. even wearing spurs? Did he have a horse? Was he just was that just a, a tribute to like westerns? Like he's the cowboy? Is that it? I but think so. um yeah, I think so. seeing the behind the scenes though, like you have a stunt double just doing a flip um on a trampoline with no wall there and they just composite the wall later and then um have yeah, uh, the actor play, playing Marion upside down held up by a rope um with you know, 10 crew members. It, it just looks so good. Uh, it's so mm. ridiculous, but just so good. Yeah, it's very nicely orchestrated. All of the action scenes are, I mean, I've, I think my favorite was the very first zombie attack scene on Renee in the car, just because of the suspense mm. and it, how it undermines obvious jump scares. Like when the agent goes out and there's a woman in a car with her face turned away from the camera and he reaches out towards her and you think, okay, she's gonna snap around yeah. and that's where the zombie attack's gonna happen. And it doesn't. And then the overhead stuff as well, when Renee's on the top of the car with the yeah, cameras pointing right. down. Yeah. And then finally the reveal of the first zombie with the sun behind it, with the beams coming out and the clouds coming over mm. and the music soaring. And it's, I just thought, oh, okay. This is after the opening, which I just thought, oh God, this is going to be a really terribly done <laughs> student movie. Yeah. All of a sudden, it was really well orchestrated up to something ridiculous. And mm. I thought, oh, okay, I'm on board now. So, yeah, kudos for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most cliche moment. In every zombie horror movie, you have to have a scene when people go on a shopping spree. <laughs> yes. Dawn of the Dead, I think, was probably the thing that kicked this off because, I mean, they were locked down in a shopping mall, so that just mm. had to happen at some point. Yes. But we had it in Night of the Comet, which is sort of quasi-zombies, uh -huh, uh -huh. uh, with previous guests Catherine Mary Stewart and Kelly Maroney. Uh, it happens in 28 Days Later, Mm -hmm. where they're marvelling at the fact that Granny Smith's apples seem to have survived for months. And even in The Quiet Earth, the New Zealand movie that we watched, oh, yes. there's a happy shopping scene. That's not much of a zombie movie, though, really. But yeah, you have to have a scene where everyone goes shopping. Yeah. And in this case, 
Marion eats wheat bakes for some reason. Yeah. Uh, in addition to the whole uh, zombie cliche of ransacking a, a supermarket or grocery store, there's also the very unwise um, retreating from zombies to either basements or upstairs. Like, why? Uh, Why would you go somewhere yeah. where you can't get away? And they go to both in this movie. They go both to the basement yeah. and the upstairs. <laughs> um, but yeah. It's true. <laughs> Always. Best special effect. I really love the spade scene. So, yes, uh, that's mine. Is it Renee <laughs> shoves a spade into the bank guy that she was talking to at the start of the film, Chip, um, and into his head. And he starts, he tries to move forward, but the spade, because it's kind of erected up above his head, keeps hitting the the, the, the ceiling or the, the overhang. And he does that a few times, and then eventually the, the spade just like peels his face in half. <laughs> it's so disgusting. It really is. And then he hits the floor, and when he tries to pull back up, one of his eyeballs falls it's out. So, it's revolting. It's such a good effect, though. Oh, it's amazing. It is. Yeah, it's a good combination of effects and editing. It's and performance too. So well done to all all, all of them involved. That's definitely my favorite. Mm-hmm. Favorite sound effect. When they emerge from the bunker. Uh, our characters have torch beams that they're using to sort of search the room that they're in. And every time the, the beams come close to the camera, you get this this low synth drone coming uh, across. Yes. <laughs> I always love it in movies. I think the X-Files did it too, where uh, light beams for some reason have a sound. sound. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. they do. They always do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A sound that I picked out. Um, so they, they insert pig squeals. In with a lot of the zombies, um, but there's mm. one scene. It's a flashback with Marion. He's talking about the the zombie fish, and you've got these fish <laughs> making pig noises. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> Most funniest moment. Well, speaking of the undead fish scene, that is undoubtedly the one where I was roaring with laugh. I was laughing a lot during this movie, uh, yes. but just the sight of Marion catching and punching and then eventually shooting mid-air flying fish uh-huh. in his little boat in the middle of the lake had me creased up. It was just so beautifully executed mm. and ridiculous. Yes. Uh, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Especially when they sound like pigs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a great scene. Uh, I really did like all, this, all the lines by Harrison. Um, and mm. also Renee's like big zombie killing scene. Oh yeah! But there, are, I I don't know what it is with with horror or with sort of comedy horror movies. There's always a funny scene with uh, a windscreen wiper. So th- they get into the van and th- they get out of the the garage eventually, and they plow through a whole bunch of zombies, and it's just like buckets of blood just splattering all over the windscreen. And then there's always that moment where they just sitting there and then the windscreen wipers like and it's just it's always so funny though it's always so funny it is and what i love about it and it did make me roar 
was that you get the sort of deadpan three of them sort of sitting in the van looking shocked as the windscreen wipers just squeak back and forth yeah. and it stops and then it goes once more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just that one little cherry on the top <laughs> as a like a button on mm, the end of the scene before mm. they cut to something else and I just roared. I, thought, I don't know why that is funny, but just to have it go across once more yeah, just yeah, cracked yeah, me Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do agree, I do agree. <laughs> All right. And that's that's our movie, please. It is. Hello, I'm Lance Guest, and you're listening to Movie Oubliette. Okay, it is a final verdict time. Should the Spirig brothers undead leave the confines of the Oubliette to infect the world in all its zombie wonderment? Or should it be blasted by... Endless bullets and me thrown back in the darkness of the oubliette, forgotten forever. Conrad, first time watch for both of us. What's your final take on this movie? It's another really difficult one. We've had a lot of this this year with Kronos with the director's first movie mm. where it was really difficult to compare something that was obviously resource constrained and narratively not terribly clear, but showed clear signs of the brilliant director that mm. uh, Guillermo del Toro would become. We had it with the last movie with The Wraith, where there were just so many flaws, but yet strangely, I kind of liked it. This movie has a lot of flaws. It is clearly showing the restraints of its budget. The opening makes no bloody sense at all. Mm -hmm. I found it very difficult because it's so ambitious. It has a zombie outbreak and an, an alien incursion. <laughs> yes. And I just could not follow the mechanics of exactly what was happening, but at the same time admired the ambition involved in trying to make the story that complex and having that much mystery in there. Some of the scenes are amazingly well executed with John Woo-style yeah. slow-mo and, and, and acrobatics, and, and, mm -hmm. and it's hilariously funny and inventive. The ensemble cast is giving it their all, and they're, they're a great bunch of characters that it's fun to be around. So many of the technical elements let it down, like the digital colour grading, but so much of it is so much better than you expect it to be when mm. you realise they were just scraping money together, like there's 15 interior sets, and mm. uh, and the production design is surprisingly good considering the situation they were in. So, I think the key thing for me is what were they shooting for and what did they achieve? And they were shooting far away from what they <laughs> yeah. were capable of doing. <laughs> yes. And they achieve a surprising amount of it. And I do not hate it. I loved watching it every single minute of it after the dodgy opening. I was in hysterics and enjoying the inventiveness of it. I did not expect this from uh, the Spearig brothers. I mm. thought their first movie would be, be kind of moody and serious like mm. Daybreakers was, but no, this is just like silly, just mm. totally silly. It kind of reminds me of Intruder. I was going to mention that too, yes. Yeah, where it's just like, it's, it's clearly not a good movie. Yeah. But it's so much fun to watch. I can easily see me telling people, hey, you should see this movie, it's really funny. <laughs> yes. it, if you want something serious and something good and groundbreaking that's like, hey, a new take on the zombie shot, this isn't it. It's not, mm. it's not that. It's just a really funny movie made with a lot of love and by a bunch of people who were really enjoying themselves mm. when they weren't killing themselves. So yeah, on that basis, I would let it go, actually. Mm. Mm. 
Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a terrible movie. It is really B-grade and, <laughs> and obviously low budget. Uh, just some shocking acting and, and just so, some of the <laughs> the production aspects, the sound. Music is pro- probably one of the worst scores uh, in the movie that we've covered on, on the podcast. I just hated the music. Um, mm. But yeah. I had so much fun with this movie. It was it's it's so funny. Every single scene is hilarious. Um, the inclusion of the aliens, like wow, I've never seen that before. That's great. That's mm-hmm. really great. Like ambitious. This movie was so yeah. so ambitious. It did achieve a lot of what the directors wanted, incredibly. And I don't. It's just like how did this how did this get finished? Is is just like <laughs> my biggest question. Like, wow, like really, really good. And you know, they've gone on to better things. D- Daybreakers for me just seems like this movie with a bigger budget and with vampires instead of zombies. Yeah, and a, and a more serious tone. I mean, if you're yeah. going to have Ethan Hawke leading your movie, you're going to go yeah. for a yeah. serious yeah, tone. Yeah, exactly. And Sam Neill's in there too. So yeah. it is impressive what they managed to yeah. pull off. Yeah, I would recommend this movie. But obviously, with the warning, it's it's definitely a B-grade movie. Don't expect yeah. anything <laughs> groundbreaking or some good acting or anything. It's it's B-grade, fun, schlocky, disgusting, gory uh, horror. Um, and, and very Australian. And I loved it. <laughs> so, yes, it is very Australian. <laughs> we have to let it go, surely. I think we do. But let's just check with our patrons mm-hmm. to make sure they agree. Okay. Just uh, fire up the machine and the printout now. Yes. Okay. Yes, they agree. They uh, say it should be released yes. as well. Uh. Eddie Coulter said, I think it should be released. It's such an unusual zombie movie. I think it's worth checking out. And Chazilla says, an Ozploitation film written, directed and financed by the Spearig brothers. This has a great story, awesome special effects, meteor zombies and more gun-foo than a John Woo film. <laughs> Let undead out of the oubliette with guns blazing into the healing Aussie rain. Ah, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, off you go then, undead. Goodbye. Have fun. Hey, I'm not so I mean I guess now Conrad what what are we, what's the movie for next time what are we going to be discussing Well next time uh, we will be marking the release of a new movie by looking back at a previous movie that attempted to adapt the same property oh. So we will be watching the 2000 American fantasy adventure film Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> okay. Okay. I've I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I've never seen this movie. So I am nope. going to it completely blind, have no expectations whatsoever. Same here on all counts. It's another double blind for me. But I thought we might need a guide, a dungeon master, Ooh. if you will, yes. to see us through this. So we will be joined by a good friend of the pod and a, a great guest uh, who saw this movie in theatres when it was released. Right. So. Ooh. Yes, maybe and a they big have fan. a lot to say. <laughs> Let's just say they have a lot to say. Uh, I'm not sure I'd okay. go that far. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
And if you have a lot to say, then please do follow us on our social media. We're Movie Oubliette everywhere. Twitter, Instagram. And you can email us at movie.oubliette at gmail.com. Yes, and if you want to support us, you can become a patron. Uh, get your vote in on uh, the patron's vote of, of the movie verdict. Uh, you, for as little as a dollar, you get access to extended segments of the pod. And for $5, you get access to extended interviews with our guests and uh, access to our monthly Minnesota, which is on the video. Uh, and for $10, you get to see all our behind the scenes uh, on how we make the podcast and any extra tidbits that we have. You do, and you get to be an executive producer like Chazilla, Eddie Coulter, and Isaac Sutton. So thanks very much for your support. Yes. For sure. Uh, and we do have merchandise as well on Redbubble, uh, anything you could ever want. And we also have a YouTube page as well. We, mm. we delve into uh, some more in-depth look into uh, movies with our video essays. We do. Yeah. So check it out. Yes. Until next time, listeners. Uh, goodbye. Bye for now. You listen to what I say, when I fucking say it, and we'll all be eating Mrs. Wellman's barbecue fucking steaks by six o'clock tomorrow fucking morning.